Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Ajax review episode, and it's brought to you by Betstamp, the world's first verified buy-sell marketplace. For sports betting picks. I'm joined by a guest to help me with this episode. He is a Serie A and Serie B commentator on the English World Feed. He's the host of the excellent Lega Football podcast, and he was at the Maradona for this match. David Ferrini, welcome back. Great to be here, Joe. It's uh, what a week this is for Napoli making the, the knockout stage. So pumped. Thanks for having me on. It was perfect timing. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And this one's a bit extra special because, like I said, you were at the match, but that was sort of the the tail end of what was a pretty epic Italian football road trip. But tell the listeners, I know all about it because I've been following everything on social media and listening to the show, but maybe for anyone who, who hasn't seen it yet, tell the listeners a little bit about the trip. Yeah, look, as a commentator and being born and bred in Australia, this is something that I've always wanted to do through Italy. And Sometimes on the Legapod, I have Emmett Gates on, who's a journalist. He writes on Serie R for Forbes magazine and a few other publications, including the Gentleman Ultra. And, you know, he put it to me one day, why don't we do a weekend in Italy where we do two or three games and then be it that Napoli's in the Champions League. So, of course, me as a Napoli supporter, I wanted to try and tee up as much as I could of seeing uh, Napoli play and just they're in great form. And we ended up, Starting off in Milan, we flew into Milan and uh, watched Milan-Juventus on Saturday night. 
perfectly the next day in Cremona, just a bit southeast of Milan's uh, Cremona, uh, Cremonese, Napoli, sorry. And then Monday night, there was a Serie A game as well. It was Fiorentina Lazio. We had a night off. We traveled down to Naples and we caught the Champions League match against Ajax. And it was an astonishing week. Phenomenal. Yeah, that is such an amazing trip. I mean, you start at the San Siro, which is probably the most iconic Italian stadium still standing. And, you know, you get the added bonus as an Apple fan of seeing Juventus lose, <laughs> though we might have preferred that they didn't, given that Milan are, are a more difficult opponent this year as far as uh, Scudetto race goes. Then you go to the Giovanni Zini for a rare opportunity to see Napoli play a Serie A match at that stadium. I mean, Cremonese haven't been in Serie A for 25 years, something like that. And who knows if they'll stay up, right? So you may not get that opportunity for a while. And then you go to the Franchi and the Maradona, which, you know, let's be honest, they aren't exactly state-of-the-art facilities anymore, but they are still two of the most historic stadiums in Italy. So amazing trip there. They're uh, so iconic. And even the Giovanni Zini, I recommend everyone. If you can get there for a game, obviously Napoli fans want to see Napoli play there. It's already been done this season. But just say Cremonese survived this season and you just happen to be in Italy next year for that match again. Cremonese, great stadium, great people. And they're sort of in two minds, obviously, as a newly promoted club, whether they're going to stay up. And I spoke to one lady in particular. She said, I don't care if we lose every game. I'm coming because it's it's a time to rejoice and enjoy their status in you know, the top division. And that's what Napoli fans had to go through a couple of decades ago. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like there were quite a few Napoli fans there. Like, do they? It was almost like they kind of opened up the stadium to whoever wants to attend, you know, a smaller club. We'll sell whatever seats we can sell, right? Sure, yeah. Look, it's it doesn't have a huge capacity in there. It's under 15,000. And when we went in there, because we didn't see that many Napoli fans in the streets, we got there really early because, of course, in Italy, there's a train strike when you need to get from one city to another for a Napoli match. So uh, we got there. We got, uh, Federico, he's an Argentinian from Milan. He was kind enough to drive us down there on Sunday and we had to go early in the morning because he was on his way to Venezia and we spent all day there. Didn't see many blue jerseys around and then come that, you know, 3 p.m. time because the game was around a 6 p.m. kickoff, uh, we started to see a few, got towards the stadium, still not too many blue shirts. They were all in there already and we got in there. It was just a sea of blue. There was, of course, one stand behind one of the goals with the gray and red, but there were more Napoli supporters and it was fantastic. It was so good. There was one stand with mixed. So we were in that stand at the halfway line. Yeah. And it's cool to see. I mean, some of these matches, the fans are such bitter rivals that they physically do not even allow it. So it's nice to see a stadium where fans can sort of intermingle like that. And it's not, not like a safety or a security thing. This match at the Maradona was extra special because it was a champions league match. What was the atmosphere like in the stadium? breathtaking honestly extraordinary atmosphere we got there a good hour early just going around the stadium the bars so many different nationalities attending these games as well we ran into south koreans and georgians and had a great time so many tourists coming through and people just wanting to see napoli play beautiful thing and getting in there it was you could just feel it everyone knew that a win was going to take napoli through we happened to sit right next to the ultras in Curva A and got some great footage. So I'll share it with you throughout the next 
week once I get time to filter through it and chop it down because, of course, when you take raw footage, you've got so much. So, yeah, it was so great. And we did it straight after we did a walking Napoli Maradona tour with Alessandro, this um, Maradona tour guide, and it was so great. What a day it was. The atmosphere, unbelievable. Yeah, and then, of course, you have the uh, you know the Champions League anthem, which everyone always loves in Napoli. I mean, you always the next day you always get the videos from someone's apartment 10 blocks away, and you can still hear the crowd screaming the Champions. So that's, They're that's- so much louder than the actual music that's pumping around the stadium, especially that last, the Champions. It was huge. They bellow it out. It's, it echoes for ages as well. It's It's great. The stadium must have erupted when Lozano scored the opening goal only three and a half minutes into the match. What was that like? I mean, it's to the point now where you're expecting a goal every 10 minutes with Napoli because especially against teams like in the Champions League, they are just thrashing teams. And it's not like it's a surprise, but it's just like, oh my God, it's it's like a a, a jackpot. You know, it's paying out just constantly and you feel like it's uh, feeding your soul as a supporter and everyone just went crazy in the stand and what a goal it was. It's like what you're expecting, a return pass to Quadratskelia and this time it's Lozano. He's finally hit some form. Everyone's relieved. Yeah, it's funny because last episode I mentioned how even though the goal he scored against Cremonese, which of course he saw live as well, was you know a stoppage time, tap in into an empty goal and even Spalletti gave Cavada more credit for that goal than he gave Lozano. Even that is sometimes all it takes to get a player going, especially forwards. They're such psychological players. And then sure enough, he scores in this match. And this was not a simple tap in. It was a perfectly placed header on the run, which is not a simple thing to do when the ball's coming over the top and you're you're heading it first time. A gorgeous assist from Zielinski. He's continued to have just an amazing start to this season. He now has four goals and six assists and 13 appearances across all competitions. And in typical Napoli fashion, it started with Lobotka and Zielinski passing out of sort of the, the Ajax press and a little bit inside our own half. I think we completed 11 consecutive passes in the buildup before Lozano glanced that header past uh, Pazvir. The goal was actually nominated for Champions League goal of the week. So we'll see if uh, if we can get enough votes to win that. But David, to me, the second goal was the one that really was something else. The finish from Raspadori was a work of art, just like Lozano's goal. The way he controlled and then he used his body to tell a lie to the defender in front of him and then smashed it. It was on the perfect angle for us to see. You could see it going in at, as soon as he shaped up to hit it, you could see it in that top corner. And everyone was uh, jumping up and down. The place was bouncing. The two guys I went with, Andrea and, and Emmett, they were they're converted Napoli fans now after seeing that Raspadori strike, I'm telling you. They absolutely loved the week. And they told me their favorite game of the four was not the San Siro not the Artemio Franchi and not even the Maradona. It was away in Cremonese, that performance by Napoli. And of course, the one at the Maradona was second. But, oh man, gorgeous finish. The quality that they have, whether, you know, Spalletti wants to choose between Raspadori or Simeone or Osiman. And, you know, he can even put Raspadori behind him if he wants and give Zielinski a break or play him as a mezzala, whatever he wants to do. 
the opulence that they have now is unbelievable. Raspadori's first touch wasn't even that great, but he recovered so well. And like you yeah. said, he he used his body to fake the defender and then just absolutely lashed that ball into the top corner with his left foot too, which is not even his strong foot. That was his fifth of the season, his fourth in the Champions League. On the commentary, you might not have seen this because you were not obviously listening to the commentary, but they pointed out that he had only played about 90 minutes up to that point when he scored that goal, which is an average of a goal every 23 minutes. He still only played 50 minutes in the match, so he's averaging a goal about every half an hour so far in his uh, his play in the Champions League, which is just remarkable. That's the pedigree that they have now. You know, they've yeah. got Italy's... I'm not sure if he is the first choice attacker, whether it's Ciro Immobile or whether it's Raspadori or Scamacca, but he's one of those. He's there, and we all saw the goal he scored against England. I think that gave him a huge amount of confidence. And then soon after, he's got his Champions League goal, you know, Serie A goal. It's all coming together at once for the young Raspadori. It's so great to see. And you really do feel like Spalletti is sort of the perfect coach to take him to that next step in his career in terms of his development because he's still so young. That goal started with a lovely interchange between Zielinski and Cavada on the left wing. They seem to have developed a really great chemistry already together. One thing you really get an appreciation for watching matches live, which doesn't necessarily come through on TV, is just the sheer pace that these guys play with. That exchange must have been something remarkable to see live as well. Elegance. That's what Kvaratskhelia gives to this Napoli side. And against Cremonese, I talked him up before the match to Andrea, who in essence is a Torino fan. And it was his first glimpse at Kvaratskhelia. He does watch football, but not that much. And especially doesn't watch all the highlights. And, you know, Cremonese kind of closed him down and it was wet and he didn't look that great. But, he, you know, he won the penalty. And that's what he does best is fool defenders. And he gets them to lunge in when they shouldn't and that is the brilliance of what he does but last night's game was the polar opposite where he from the first touch to the last touch he had in the game he was just immaculate to watch starting player that exchange I mean there's so many moments in that game last night that we could talk about but yeah he was just phenomenal he just terrorized poor Jorge Sanchez. <laughs> the poor guy just returned from injury and had to start because Wrench himself got injured, who's Ajax's uh, is normal uh, starting right back. And he just couldn't keep up. He couldn't handle the pace and he couldn't handle the trickery from Cavada. He was not megging players. There was one play where he all he could do, the play where he got the yellow card was just lunge at him. And, you know, I hesitate to bring up the whole Cavada Donna nickname, but that's what players used to do to stop Maradona because there was no other way to stop him. It was just, well, I'm just going to have to take this guy out. Yeah. Look, who do you stop now? Because when you focus on Kvaratskhelia, then you leave a little bit of space for someone like a Zielinski or even Angiza, who's just tearing everyone apart. Every pass he makes is pinpoint. It's He's illustrious. And he's one of those players... When you've got someone like him winning the ball and he's also got the quality to make a pass that can split a defense into incisiveness, that's exactly what he brings. And then you've got someone worrying about Kvaratskhelia that sometimes they leave him all alone. 
and he's out there by himself. And you just think that poor right back has to make up 30 meters on this guy as well. He's incredible. Even on the ball, he still outruns players that are trying to track him back. It's really yeah, it kind of looks like slow motion sometimes when you see yeah. him live and he's just it looks like slow motion, but they are sprinting after him and he's got the ball. So anyone that's played football knows when you've got the ball, you can't quite keep the pace that you could if you're just running a, a sprint. And he somehow is able to sucker them in and then swing them one way and brings the ball back behind him and then to the side, that side. And these players, they must feel like they're on some kind of drug, you know, seeing blurry vision with this kid. So the Georgians outside the stadium after it, they know that he's a huge star and they love the fact that everyone's comparing him to Quaradona because they've been around the city and they've seen all the murals and the effigies of Diego. So... Yeah, it's no wonder that he draws so many penalties because he's so shifty and so hard to defend. So we went into the break up two goals to nil. Really, the difference in that first half was that we were clinical and Ajax weren't because they did have yeah. their chances. Yeah, exactly. One thing I've noticed from Napoli this season especially is the fact that most of their shots at goal are actually on target. And it's up to the keeper to make a stop or to someone get a body in the way. But over the past, I don't know, decade that we've seen Napoli, kind of the second best team in the league, regardless of who wins it, they, it's kind of like they want to walk the ball in. They'll have 20 attempts at goal in the match and four of them are on target and maybe one will go in, you know, on a good day, all four of them will go in. Whereas now it seems the other way around. It's the uh, energy's shifted, the the magnetic pull of these attacks. I don't know. They're just coming up with so many solutions. And yeah, Ajax had their chances as well. I have to agree. They were okay. Gave their fans some hope. They were right next to us. And as soon as they got, you know, they pulled the goal back to 2-1, I think they were just like, please. I don't know who they were praying to, which, which ex-Ajax star. But they were still in it, you know, 2-1, then 3-2. And I was actually sitting there thinking, I was confident that Napoli wouldn't lose. But looking around, the fans, when they're only a goal up, they feel like, oh, this isn't normal. We should be three or four up now because that's what they've got used to this season. Yeah, that's really funny. I mean, Napoli is scoring goals at just an outrageous clip right now. So I guess, yeah, maybe a little unrealistic expectations, but those expectations are shifting. It was interesting to see the uh, the sort of the halftime stats because – you might have thought that Ajax, you know, if you hadn't watched the match, you might have thought that they maybe were the better team. They had outshot us seven to four, but they only put one shot attempt on target and we put two of ours on target. They both went in. So, you know, 50% of our shots went in in the first half. I think at the 35 minute mark, they had 60% ball possession to our 40. That leveled off by the end of the half to something like, I don't know, 53, 47. But, you know, again, that's just emphasizes how clinical this team has been. And to your point, the shots are coming from all different sides, different angles, different depths, different players. So they're becoming a really, really difficult team to defend with all these weapons that Spalletti has at his disposal. Yeah, well, you know what they say. It's um, it's not, you know, how big it is. It's how you use it. And Napoli and Spalletti, it's, uh, they are using it quite well right now. And most teams are finding out the hard way. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the perfect way to end part one. In part two, we'll uh, talk about the second half.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Betstamp. With the Betstamp app, you can compare betting lines across multiple different sportsbooks in your region, which is the only way to get an edge in online sports betting. You can also buy and sell picks from verified accounts, and best of all, the app is free. There are no fees, no royalties, and no commissions. Just download the Betstamp app and be sure to use referral code NAPLI when you create your account. Alright, so let's talk about the second half, which really couldn't have started any worse for Napoli. About 3 minutes and, I don't know, 10-11 seconds into the half, Davy Clausen headed in the cross from Calvin Bassey. I'm not sure if this was on your side of the pitch or not, where you were sitting, but, you know, Meret got a hand on the ball. He wasn't able to keep it out. Do you think he might have done better there? Honestly, you could see it happening. Napoli just looked like they took their foot off the gas and they weren't quite concentrating, break down the communication. As soon as that ball left the boot for the cross in for the header, I said, this is a goal. And it went in. And Merritt maybe, I don't think that Alex Merritt was expecting the uh, header to come with such ease. You know, it was kind of like he was stunned almost the way that Napoli just sort of closed down for a few seconds. And yeah, look, you could have saved on another day, but he's made so many terrific saves this season now. And uh, he's really done himself and his reputation some good. It's okay to have a, a blind moment, I guess you could call it, where whether it's his fault or the defense's fault or whoever's fault it is, it went in. And, and they, it's all about how they respond, just like back in Amsterdam a week ago. It's how they respond to being down in a hostile environment away from home. And now they've done it at home. And when it comes to soaking up the pressure, that's I think that's what Spalletti wants now because we're used to a Napoli that goes out there and wants to maintain possession for 90% of the game. Now they're happy to give it away. It's kind of like they're in the Mr. Miyagi karate kid mode where okay for this lesson for this next 20 minutes it doesn't matter if we give the ball away because we need to practice where our zoning is going to be we want to play a high line now or a deep line whatever it is it feels like that's what Spalletti is doing I'm not sure if I'm correct but that's what it feels like because Napoli usually want to keep the ball for the majority of the game they're happy to have an opponent in the European competition have the ball so that they can maneuver and, and learn no, for sure. And and you even see that particularly at away matches for the first, say, quarter of the match where it's, okay, let's let them have the ball. We'll sit back. We'll just soak up that pressure, kind of let the fans settle in a little bit, and then we'll impose our game. So there's definitely some of that tactics going on. On Mereta, I wonder, you mentioned him being a bit stunned there. I think Clausen won the header over Kim Min-jae, who's just been so solid at the back that Maybe he just figured, okay, Kim's got this because he always does. And Clausen kind of snuck up on him a little bit there. Well, his um, vertical leap is good, Kim and Jay. But it's just that it was a perfect ball into that spot for him to run at and just timed it to, you know, it was millisecond perfect. 
and Clausen had a running start, whereas Kim was sort of caught flat-footed, which is always difficult for a defender. I did think Meret was a little bit deep. He was almost inside his own goal at the point where he he got a hand on the ball. But like you said, I mean, especially when we're scoring four goals a match, you can afford to concede perhaps one that's slightly weaker. We were a bit under pressure for about 10 minutes or so after that goal where it seemed like Ajax might find the equalizer. Did the energy in the stadium change after that goal? Was there a sense of nervousness or was the crowd sort of still confident that we were going to get this result? It did shift a bit. And, and I'll go back to what I was saying before, where it felt like the, you know, week in, week out, Napoli fans that go there were, were kind of like stunned, like, hang on, we should be running away with this. We shouldn't be conceding. Uh, they're used to conceding, you know, one goal in a game, but not two or three. So I'll also go back to, I think Spalletti isn't, too upset to concede goals and have a bit of pressure come at him, especially on a stage like the Maradona Stadium. And you've got an opportunity to upload a new program into this team and, and test them out. And Ajax isn't the best team in the competition by a stretch. You know, they're far from it. So it's it's a great opportunity for them to learn. And I wouldn't be surprised if Spalletti's taking that as the positive. But yet, the energy changed. Okay, and to make matters worse, Angisa was immediately replaced after that goal. Actually, Spalletti said he was hurt before the goal happened, and that was partly why we conceded. If you go back and watch that play again, you can you can see that Angisa was sort of holding his leg. He was trying to stretch it out, and he wasn't sort of running as much as he typically does, not as agile. He's going to have further tests on Friday, but the initial report was that he strained his right thigh, if this is similar to Rachmani's injury in terms of the severity of the injury, how big of a loss is Angisa to that Napoli midfield? Yeah, it's big. But if he's out for a little bit, whether he's out until the World Cup or not, well, you know, to the World Cup break, we'll say, because we also have to see what he's going to do regarding going or not. But um, it's an opportunity for someone like Ndombele to come into the team or maybe to test out a new formation someone like Eitano coming in, I'm not sure, or whether he's he's going to you know, go to a, a double pivot and maybe bring back Dem if he's back. I'm not sure what the situation is on Diego Dem. It feels like he's a forgotten personality around Naples at the moment. I'm a little bit worried about it. I mean, we'll we'll get to Ndombele a little bit because I, I do want to get your thoughts on him as well. I just think, though, that you know, Anguisa has been such... Well, all three of those midfielders are so important to the way Napoli play and I think it was James Horncastle that posted the quote from Spalletti where he said, there are no tactical schemes anymore. The spaces are no longer between the lines, but among players and the skill is in finding them. And I think what he's saying there is that, you know, these three guys have developed such great chemistry with each other that they kind of always know where each other are and they know where they need to be relative to where the other two are. And then I also look at how much time Ngisa has played only Alex Meret and Giovanni Di Lorenzo have played more minutes than Anguisa, which maybe that's why he got hurt. Perhaps Spalletti overused him a little bit. But as I said, he was replaced by Tangi Ndombele. Ndombele does appear to be improving little by little every match. I mean, you sort of answered this already, but do you think he's capable of doing a job while Anguisa is out? He can do a job, but there's only one Zambo Anguisa. And yeah. he's just such a massive figure on that pitch. It's kind of like looking at Ibrahimovic come out and then you might bring on 
someone the size of a Gianfranco Zola and expect him to do the same job. It's not going to happen. They're two different kinds of players. And I think Ndombele is a different player. I think everyone is a different player compared to Anguisa at the moment. It was such a steal getting him and the way he's progressed. And maybe this is an opportunity for Ndombele to do the same thing. I think it is. And, you know, I thought he played well enough in this one. He won the penalty kick that put us up three to one. He seems to be more comfortable in the system. And, and I think that's giving him the confidence to play his game where, you know, he's he's shifty. He's very good on the ball. He has a very keen eye for the through ball. He very nearly picked up an assist for Osiman, but he was called offside. And I think not only is this an opportunity for Ndombele to play a little bit, but perhaps this is now with Osiman back an opportunity to play Raspadori behind Osiman and go back to that 4 2 3 1, even though it didn't really work that well the first time we tried it. And I think Spalletti's he's got enough resources there that he can be creative and come up with some different looks. He absolutely has. He's he can come up with any potion he wants now, and I think it will work. Angisa was probably in the top three to be picked in the starting 11, but yeah, he's got firepower. He's got so much now. So Osimhen replaced Raspadori at the same time that Ndombele replaced Angisa. I think that was a little bit of improvisation from Spalletti. I think the plan was probably not to play Osimhen so soon. You could even see that Domenichini on the touchline was kind of stalling the fourth official to let <laughs> Osimhen get his shirt on and, and whatever he needed to do to go into the match. And I think the reason for that was because Spalletti didn't want to use one of his substitutions to replace only one player. So, you know, for those who don't know, you're only allowed to make, you're allowed five substitutions, but you can only stop play three times to make those five substitutions. So there was a little bit of improvisation there from Spalletti. What did you make of Osimhen in his return from injury? Well, just going to the substitution process, I, I agree with you. I think that it was a bit of improvisation from Spalletti. And I also think it was a way to give Osman some minutes and see how he went. If he pulled up with an injury, then he still got Simeone on the bench. So it, that's a much better outcome. If Osman sort of feels a tweak and needs to go off, he can then bring on Simeone instead of bringing on Osman as the last substitution and then maybe have to play with 10 men for five or 10 minutes. And that's quite enough if you're only one goal down to, to come back and get a result. But I thought he ran quite well. He looked enthusiastic at times, a little bit too enthusiastic, but he's so pumped to get out there and impress because he's been on the sidelines watching his uh, you know, number two and number three just destroy everyone. And he's thinking, I need a piece of this action. And we know how brilliant he is. He's got the potential to return to number one status in the league as the league's best striker. You know, he's stepping offside quite a lot, but I remember him doing that when he first came to Serie A. He was offside a lot, and he's just so pumped to be out there. So we all saw that another striker perhaps wouldn't have scored the goal that he scored last night, but he sort of read the play and the pressure was there. He wanted to press and he got his goal. So in the end, can't complain. The kid went out there and, and got the goal and, and it was enough. It was daylight. Two goals, got the result and they're through. So 10 out of 10 in my book, maybe not overall for his performance, but the outcome, we all wanted him to get a goal and he got it. Yeah, I feel really bad for Ajax to have to 
you know, that's the guy that's coming off the bench. <laughs> Probably our, our best striker, really. It's just maybe that might have been forgotten a little bit over the last month because of, like you said, how well Raspadori and Simeone have been playing. And and the other thing is that because Ajax didn't play against him in the previous fixture, they probably weren't expecting him to be that fast. We all know he's fast, but like you said, he read the play. Who was it? It was Yuri Boss, I think, that played the pass back to Daily Blind. And Osiman started sprinting towards Blind as soon as Boss got the ball on the t- on the sideline, on the touchline. So by the time the ball got there, that slight hesitation from Blind and he was toast and Osiman's got his goal. It was just unbelievable. Picked his pocket and he was kind of blindsided because he was standing in a position where he couldn't see if someone was sneaking up on him or maybe he just didn't realize he was coming at that velocity. He knew maybe there's a the shadow of someone coming towards him in a, in a blue shirt but just didn't realize he was going to get there that quick. And that's what Osiman offers. He's so quick. Yeah. And you mentioned his passion. That's what I loved about him from this performance. Just that energy that he brings. I mean, that celebration after the goal, he's ripping off his shirt. He's tossing the mask. He's going right up to the fans. And because it was a sold out crowd, even the lower bowl was full. So there were tons of uh, fans cheering him on. We saw him stay out the longest at the end of the match with the the Kurva. I don't know if that was on your side with Kurva A or Kurva B, but singing Unjorno Improviso. Um, and he was kind of there clapping. I would have liked for all of the players to do it the old way and go jump with the fans sort of on the racing track. But maybe we'll get there. There's still time. And then we also saw his leadership that Spalletti keeps talking about specifically when he gave the ball to Cavada to take the penalty kick. I mean, he was just out for a month. He's a goal scorer. It's an easy way to sort of get yourself back on track by taking a penalty kick. But instead, he gave the ball to Cavada. Cavada nearly tore the skin off of that ball. He hit it so hard. He now has seven goals and five assists in all competitions. And then what I loved was that when Osiman scored that late goal, Cavada was the first player to run down the touchline and, and give him a hug to celebrate with Victor there. Do you sense that there's this really strong bond forming between these players in the locker room? Absolutely. And these players know the skill level and the capabilities of each other. They train with each other all the time. And can you imagine being in a situation where you knew your, your role, you know everyone else's, and everyone is in just stunning form it's got to feel heavenly to be honest and the penalty as you said deadly finish bit of finesse on there as well bit of power just the way he picked his spot and smashed it in but they are gelling so well and they all want to be out there which is the great thing and they all want to score goals and whether it's Lozano or Politano or even someone on the other side where it's Cavada or you know, Mateus Oliveira, Mario Rui, they all understand, okay, we can't play every minute of every game and there's so many games. Let's go out there and take our opportunities while we can. And I think that's why there's more efforts on target. It just feels like there are more efforts on target. I haven't had a good look at the statistics, but everything seems like it's on target and the keeper is forced to make a save. There are more attempts on target and the accuracy is higher. Like I was looking at the XG for you know, comparing the XG for all the teams in the Champions League, and we're miles ahead of everyone there. Same thing in Serie A. So they're they're not just shooting, but they're taking good shots, which drives that XG up. You mentioned the feel in the locker room and kind of everyone knowing each other's in form. I had a good laugh after the Raspadori goal because they, they cut to the bench and the players are celebrating. 
and Gianluca Gaetano is looking at Zerbin. It might have been Zerbin. And they look like you might as well have put them as sort of the two kids in the crowd that are just in awe of what they're witnessing. <laughs> they kind of are the two kids in the squad. But I thought that was really funny. And going back to this camaraderie that's formed between the players, Di Lorenzo gave a quick interview in the mix zone after the match. And, you know, I guess they asked him who he dedicates this match to. And he said he dedicates it to the entire group. So without getting too far ahead of ourselves and nobody wants to say the S word, but it does seem maybe we'll use a different S word, which is special. It does feel like something special is brewing in this squad. The last player I want to ask you about only because he doesn't get to play so often is Juan Jesus. How do you think he did covering for Amir Rahmani in this one? Look, he's one of those players. He's a squad player. And whether it's him or Ostergaard that comes in, they've got a job to do. I don't think they're trying to be a Rahmani or a Kiminje. They know their role as well. It's like uh, Simeone maybe being the number three striker now or whoever it is. They know that they're in the squad for a specific reason. They're backup players. You know, he's got experience. He's 30, 31. He's played Champions League before. He's coming to this Napoli side now. And Spalletti would really drill down on him to make sure he understands what he has to do. He played okay. Nothing special. Did a job. Gave away a penalty. In my opinion, it was soft. But there is an arm sort of over the top of the shoulder. And that's all you need to see referee in Serie A these days. And also the balance sort of bringing him down, the force of gravity. And it's uh, unlucky that it, I think maybe he was a little bit tricked where the attacker made sure that he got into the box because he knew that that challenge would come. And maybe he could push into Juan Jesus and make him stumble. And he'd have no choice but to do that. So, you know, these guys are professionals. If Simeone did that or Osiman, we'd be applauding them. So Ajax was searching for a goal. They, that's how they got back into the match and credit to them. It's Champions League football. It's what they do. You've got to live and learn. Yeah, and even the penalty that we were awarded, it was probably the right decision just based on the rules. The Sort of the hand is away from the body. The ball hits the hand. But it was fortunate in the sense that there was clearly no intention. I know intent is sort of irrelevant when you're making these decisions, but the defender's not trying to handle the ball. So... I kind of look at those two situations as evening out a little bit. Yeah, and with Napoli's penalty, it's on the way to goal. So if it's on the way to goal, it hits a hand and it's you know away from the body, it's going to be a penalty 99 times out of 100. I was still happy for Juan Jesus. I mean, I think it was his first appearance in the Champions League since the 2018-19 season when he was with Roma. So it was nice to see him get a few minutes. I think... Maybe that factored into Spalletti's decision-making as well. Let me try to get as many guys in there, kind of like Mancini did at the Euros with playing Sirigu you know, in one match. And try, again, going back to that team building and team bonding, getting guys in. We saw Gaetano come in for a few minutes at the end of the match as well. So That was you great. Know, Spalletti's been very calculated in everything he's doing. And again, he's got a plethora of talent on this team, so he might as well do that. That's just about all we have time for, David. But any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Well, I'll just quickly touch on Cremonese. At the start of the week, last weekend, when, when I was thinking, what is Spalletti going to do? It felt like to me that the priority was the three points against Cremonese because what a luxury that is to think we're so far ahead in the UEFA Champions League 
that maybe we should put the second team on against Ajax that we just destroyed 6-1. So obviously he was going to change some players over. Uh, he's got a couple of injuries to deal with, but he's got the depth in the squad. And still, for me, the, <laughs> I'll go back to it. It was the three points against Cremonese. For me, was the priority. I figured they could get a result one way or the other and still be ahead of Liverpool. So that is the times that we live in at the moment and it was a blessing for me to be there on site and see both performances and so many other fans as well and and now new fans i'm trying to convert so yeah what a time to be alive yeah and maybe the most important thing for spalletti is that the owner is happy as well i think the last i checked napoli are already guaranteed something like 61 or 62 million euros that's already secured from what they've done in the Champions League. So you think of some of the, the money we spent in the summer. You know, these guys, Kim, Kavada, Ostegard, they're already paid for. And we still have two matches remaining in the group stage. There's potential revenue there. Just qualifying, you know, for the round of 16 or the round of uh, the quarterfinals. So everyone, <laughs> even the owner who may not always be the happiest, everyone seems to be happy right now. Everyone's happy, and if he needs extra cash, he can sell Barty if they end up coming up as well for, a, you know, who knows how much that's worth. I might just mention one more thing. While I was there, and I've posted about this with um, some of the, the denigrating chants of previous years, such as, you know, Vesuvio Eruta, Nablia Distruta, you know, the volcanoes erupting to destroy Napoli, that kind of thing. The Napoli fans, the ultras, they actually sing that now. And a lot of Napoli Tifosi will already know this, but for those that don't, they are singing that. They've twisted the meaning. So it kind of fits in with the fact that they are destroying everyone. It's like Vesuvius, welcome to our stadium. Vesuvius just erupted and, and, and it's destroyed you kind of thing. So they sing it to the rhythm of freed from desire. And it was spectacular. I've got that on camera as well. So... I'll put that in my little collage of uh, Napoli week, I'll call it. So uh, I'll be looking forward to that, which I'll bring out and I'll tag, of course, the Forza Napoli pod in that. But uh, thanks for having me, Joe. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And definitely looking forward to seeing that collage. Just a quick comment on those chants, because a lot of people have been asking me about that. And I think you gave a perfect kind of explanation of why it's being done. And it's also sort of the, if anyone knows Napolitano humor, it's sort of very ironic. So it's also the irony of singing the chants that all these people are singing towards us and us being people from Napoli in a sort of hatred type of way and, and flipping it, as you said. To yeah, it's something. taking the weapon, stealing it from them, and then you know beheading the opposition, the adversary is the victim. It's time to just step up and enjoy the moment. And this is what Napoli Tifosi do. They're singing it now and they've twisted it and they've aimed it as a weapon at the opposition exactly okay that is where we'll leave it you can find david on twitter at david Ferini underscore and you can find the lega football podcast at lega football on all the usual platforms including youtube you can find me on twitter at joe underscore fischetti five and you can find the podcast on twitter instagram facebook and patreon at forzanopoli pod i'm hoping to be back very soon to preview the bologna match on sunday we'll see if we have enough time for that but until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre.
Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.